Hey, what's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of the SE Show. Today we have Noor with us who hails from Syria and he's been a great friend since uh, we went to high school together and we've been like, you know, seeing each other around the same neighborhood. I basically did not like know that he used to live in the same neighborhood. I knew like he lived somewhere close by, but not in the same neighborhood, but it's been an amazing journey with him. Um, I've really been inspired by his works. Like he's really creative as you guys can see from the decorations and from how the house looks. And plus on his Instagram and stuff like that, you know, like he has that whole like traditional Syrian vibe, um, you know, with the swords, with the rings. I'm wearing some of his rings right now, so it's pretty cool. But inshallah, today we're going to be talking about, um, you know, language, culture, history, and uh, Noor's personal journey, his immigration journey, his life out here, and how these factors sort of intersect. You know, I'm really interested about like, you know, how some of his ancestry is from Andalusian Spain. And, you know, a bunch of things to talk about, Islamic names and whatnot. We'll just dive into it later. But um, let's, inshallah, start off with your introduction, Noor. Okay, so I will start with Salaam Alaikum, peace be upon you. Shalom Alaikum, Basiyat Yas Kukrata, Mirvam, and any other form of saying Salaam. My name is Noor, and I came from Syria. And with me coming from Syria to here, I brought a lot of things with me, such as my culture, language, and too many other things. <laughs> That is inspiring because, like, man, like, I know a lot of people when they come out here, um, especially because, like, I come from a place where we used to always, like, um, you know, fantasize about the West and how everything is out here and stuff like that. People pick up on those influences and sort of, you know, f find themselves falling into this melting pot, you know, because, like, when immigrants come out of here, they adapt and they sort of um, assimilate with the rest of the people and, you know, people lose out on a lot of things, which makes us really cool, you know, like, stuff like this. The way you were playing the guitar, you know, like that oud influence in the guitar and these oriental sort of influences, I think it's really cool that we should always like, you know, uh, stay close to. And obviously, like, you know, where all these things root from, you know, like um, culture, language, like um, the most core thing that we put towards our hearts is the consciousness of Allah and everything, you know, like that's where everything roots from. So I, I'm glad that you have that, like you have like zikr and you had like, you know, these Islamic verses around your house. Which like you know sort of um, show like you know your effort towards like you know preserving the faith and everything while you're preserving all these cultures. Yes, yes, it's important. Uh -huh. and that's the reason why Allah helped me to come here. If no, it wasn't for Him, I wouldn't be here as well. Be sure, like that is very true. Because like, um, like without like you know the help of Almighty and everything, like you no, know, we cannot get into like a lot of places. And obviously, there's not that like you could like you know like. The way we worship him, like basically, like you know, gives strength to us back as well. You know, like that makes us stronger. And whenever you have that core faith, you know that whatever problem or hurdle you're going, uh, to, like you're going under, like you know, that can be solved because, like you know, you always have hope in Allah and everything. You know, that is very important. Um, but Noor, like, let's talk about um, how your journey was growing up in Syria and how everything was out there. So, at what age did you come out here to the United States? I was even. Before I was turned 18, I was 17, that's why I came in here. Okay. I was very fresh, I was a green tree branch, I was still forming, and here was a big part of me forming into a, a full a tree branch. Nice, okay, so at the age of 17 you came out here, so before all that was in Syria? Like you yes. lived out there consistently? But my whole life. Okay, and this is Damascus? Damascus, Syria? yes. Okay. okay, so I know in Urdu we call it Damascus. Like, Dimash, which is in Arabic as well. We said Dimash. There's a lot of other places, Damascino, Damascus, there's a lot of accents mm -hmm. as well. Okay. So, Damascus, like, 
in regards to the big cities of the world, has always had like a history of being the epicenter of art, of language, of culture, of intellect. You know, I know a lot of like um, influences in golden Islam that kind of like root back to Damascus. Is that true? Yes, and subhanAllah, when I came here, I found out more about that because uh, if you look more into history and even in Syria, we had refugees who come from a lot of different parts of the world. Like even, for example, you hear about a very famous person killed called Abu Bukhari, which people think he was Arab. He wasn't Arab. He came and lived with us, brought his knowledge, brought his... Oh, no way. Culture. Okay. Yes. And as well, like this, just like this person, a lot of other people came and lived with us and learned the Arabic language, the kids lived there and everything. When I was there, I remember using, seeing those blonde people. I remember seeing red hair people. They're very dark people. They're very white people. Even you, you're surprised at sometimes Mongolian features, Turkish features. I never paid attention. We all speak one language. When I came here, seeing comparisons, like, I saw this features before, but this guy's Mongolian or Turkish. No, that is so true, man. Like, yeah. It's like so interesting and so vast how far Islamic ancestry goes. You know, because like obviously we've had so many different empires, right? We had the Ottoman Empire, we had the Mamluk Empire, we had the Mongol Empire. That you know, maybe some of those empires did not, you know, started off as Muslim, but they, like, you know, converted later on, and like, you know, they sort of brought back Islam to their lands, and you know, that's why we have Islam in the deepest corner of the corners of the world now. We have it in Europe and Albania and Bosnia. We have it in China. We have it in South Asia, all the way there. You know, so it's like. Like, you know, so interesting how Islam has grown over time and how, like, it has, like, brought together all these races and all these people who look different, you know, but they ended up speaking that one language, especially at that time. Like, you know, at the time of Ottoman Empire, the Mamluk Empire, like, when they had to sort of um, preserve knowledge and teach knowledge, obviously there was going to be one foundational language that would, you know, convey all these knowledge, uh, you know, this piece of knowledge is in, and, like, you know, that was Damascus and that was, like, you know, Andalus in Spain at that time where... Those were like big epicenters and whatnot. So, Nora, how was like the schooling out there? You know, like when you were growing up, um, did you guys have like a international school where like, you know, like you guys were learning English from the first day as well? Or like, was it more like a localized school where they sort of uh, focus more on the local language and local traditions? So in every school, first of all, schools are there separated, either for completely boys or girls. Or there are some, some private schools who have just mixed race. So, most of the schools, we have English as second language. When okay. I was there, my time, there was even French as a third language. Recently, there is even Russian right now as a fourth language. So, we focus on all these languages as well. Okay. So, um, one second, I think I'm at home. Hello. We can hear the birds too. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it adds in the background noise. <laughs> but yeah, Noor, so we were talking about the influence of language and whatnot, right? And uh, when you were growing up there, like, was there like different dialects that you learned or that you had awareness of that, okay, these dialects exist when I'm learning Arabic, when I'm learning the Quran, um, or like, this is something that you sort of understood later on? So, like, so far as we always hear like dialects, whatever you go, Syria is a very, very huge, diverse place because you okay. have deserts, you have mountains, you have forests, you have a lot of things. Now, like usually, like I was talking a while ago, it's affected with our language we used to speak even before Islam came, which okay. is Aramaic. Uh-huh. So you you still see that effect to it. If you listen to what churches, for example, when they speak their own language, Aramaic, you can still see the influence. Oh wow! Okay. So 
is traditional Aramaic like still spoken around Syria or a little bit? Yes, yes, okay. a little bit. I actually, when I was there, I have learned a little bit, caught a little bit of it, mm-hmm. and there are some similarities because both are Semitic languages. Okay. Like I said, very similar ter- terms and accent. Okay, but it's believed that the uh, prophets that you know sort of came before Prophet Muhammad like they spoke Aramaic at that time as well. Yes, our prophets in our land they spoke Aramaic. Okay, so. Like I said, there were the last trade wars when Islam came, the Arabs came and they opened Syria and they kicked out the Romans and things. There were still people at that time, a lot of them Christian, still turned Muslim. They still spoke their language Aramaic. Okay. And a lot of words, our daily words, even when Arabs from Syria mixed with other Arabs, say from Saudi Arabia, there's a lot of words we do not understand each other. And if you look into their roots, they're not Arabic words. Oh, okay. So there's like so many influences towards the language as well. Yes. Okay, that, that's pretty interesting. So, um, when you were growing up there, like, what were some of the fondest memories that you have? There's a lot of memories. I think uh, if you're talking to a person who lived in America, I think the best thing, the biggest thing that I miss is not paying taxes. You guys wouldn't pay taxes? Nothing at all. all. Even okay. if you just stay at home, maybe until the day you die, uh-huh. you'll never have to worry about taxes. Just for free. Wait, so the taxes weren't factored into how the government worked? So there, there's something different about Syria. They say English is, Syria is a self-sufficient country or something like that. Okay. Where we grow everything, we produce everything, we never need the help outside world. So we have our oil, our wheat, our sugar, our things. We make our, okay. ourselves, and we export actually. And okay. I think we achieved that title for like 10 years straight. Oh, wow. So in this way, the government really doesn't need anything. Okay. So for example, a lot of you know, pack of loaves of bread. It it will cost from getting from a farmer wheat and then going to the factories and things like that. Let's say it will cost a thousand Syrian pounds. Okay. The government usually supports in that and takes a loss mm-hmm. in order for us to buy it in like fifty pounds, hundred pounds. Wow. Yes. So they will make sure that we have the ability to buy it at cheap price. So way the way the government was working, way it was taking losses on like certain sides. But then it was making like, you know, kind of like um, profits in like other areas that yes. would cover up for those losses. Yes, because we have tourism, oil, we have right. a lot of things. Okay, that makes sense. What do you think like was the biggest reason for the destabilization? Like, you know, uh, the area and stuff like that. And you don't have to answer that, like, you know, contrary. I think there's a lot of like, answers for that. And each person will have an opinion. And all opinions, somehow are right. Mm-hmm. I would say from my own experience, unfortunately, it's misunderstanding. It's good okay. now. I think lack of wisdom, unfortunately, lack of patience, that's mm-hmm. the only thing. It's normal to be different, it's like how your hand, you have right. different fingers, it's very normal. We have to understand each other and just accept each other as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that is the essence of Islam, right? Like yes. that is how uh, back then we were as an ummah and then, you know, how still are, like we were talking about like, you know, similar different, similar sort of um, um, way like the people look out there and stuff like that in different parts of the ummah, so like, you know, that is something that brings us closer, the differences amongst us. Um, but back in Syria, like, were there always, like, historical influences that sort of inspired you, you know, and how soon did you start learning about the history and, you know, where you sort of come from? Because I know we were having a conversation about this earlier that you know your entire family tree, right? And you know, like, you have records, like, they've kept the records of where the families came from and how they sort of rooted from, like, you know... Um, where this where Islam started from. So, where do you think your ancestry started off from? So it's a very good question. So we born being born in Syria and raised over there and things like that. 
we all have a group of having the mind that we are singing. And that's it. We spoke one language, one okay. culture, we all like one type of song. And thing. But somehow, the more the more I looked into it, and I suddenly found we have a three family and things like that. I looked to it, and I saw that I have family members that they go all back to Saudi Arabia, to Mecca. Okay. And I was shocked. Mm-hmm. And actually, my great-grandfather is a prophet, peace be upon him. Okay. And I was shocked. I said, how come from there, we end up in Syria? And I started following names. Where do they go? And I started building a theory. And then I found these names. Some of them, they started suddenly migrating to Sudan. When the plans of Arabs composition, and started going to other countries, spreading Islam. From Sudan, some other names end up in Morocco. Okay. And I was more shocked. And then some of us started looking and said, how come from Morocco straight they end up in Syria? Then I found that some of these friends who lived in Morocco, they went to Spain actually. I lived in Spain. And from there, I was living more in the history. I found that Turkey and the Ottoman Empire, they were sending ships, helping people, bringing refugees, and bringing them to the Islamic lands. So I think, from, from my own thinking, my family, my ancestors, were one, one of the families who were on the ship and they were brought to Syria. Okay. Because we all basically live by Lebanon and Damascus, which is very close to the sea. And it will make sense that they came maybe by a ship. Right, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Do you think, like, at that time, they were traveling mostly by ship? Yes. Like, they, weren't, they wouldn't do, like, land travel as much? Like, to between, like, go between countries and stuff like that? They would be, but I think the fastest would be a ship. Especially in the, maybe their condition, maybe they are worried about their safety, their lives and things. So they would come by ship. And okay. as well, just maybe seek a new life opportunities and stuff like that. Even that though in, in Morocco, some parts of my family even maybe end up in Morocco, because that's why I found out my last name uh, also is very famous in Morocco. Oh. And that's something nice. Okay. Yeah, that is interesting. Like, certain last names can be, uh, you know, popular in, like, you know, different areas where you yes. may not be even born. Yes. We have a big, actually a big tribe in Sudan, which I found about. It's oh, called wow. Al Majadib. And I was shocked when I found about it. <laughs> they all look Sudanese and things, but they say one guy, his name was Majzoub something, came there, made the, the village. Right. was in a good sheikh, something like that. And the village was named after him. And then he has a tribe. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah, these like ancestries and these civilizations back then, how they function, they're so interconnected. You know, I'm sure that if we sat down and like sort of traced it back, we would like find a link amongst each other as well, you know? Because like I know personally where my last name like sort of hails from like my last name is Zuberi which is like you know sort of understood that when I sort of investigate my Islamic ancestry it's sort of understood that you know um, it started off with Hazrat Zubair bin Awam you know so like it sort of stemmed from there and then you know that my sort of community or like you know my tribe my Islamic tribe sort of hails from you know his progeny and everything so it's really interesting. I think every single person has an Islamic ancestry. Course, Obviously, like, you know, someone course. started off with um, one of the original, like, you know, people that were with Prophet Muhammad or directly him, you know. So that's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, man, let's talk history. Like, you know, I've always been so, like, I'm, I've been, like, always, like, a huge fan of, like, you know, Andalusian history, Ottoman history, how everything came together. Because I was so interested in the golden age of Islam, you know. And the golden age of Islam, like how they say it started, like, you know, after the Tabain and the Tabatabain and the sort of ilm that they were like, you know, sort of uh, focusing on and like progression of just knowledge and just everybody studying. Because like, obviously they had their, um, you know, monetary ambitions as well. But like, they really focused on knowledge at that time, you know, that huge thing that we sort of um, lack nowadays where like, you know, we'll just settle down and like, you know, just completely forget about seeking knowledge. By that time, like seeking knowledge was like a huge sort of emphasis and I really, like, love how we, like, you know, go back into history and we can see 
so many of the world's scientists and like you know the people that sort of um, made these big inventions and what later on like like trickled down in like you know the European science and whatnot like we sort of had the foundation for that right so what are like your thoughts about that so there are a lot of answers there's a lot of viewpoints and things I would say of course our Khulafa Rashidin they were the one who planted the seed and it took some time for it to grow and things like that and that's usually even in life you always work the hard work in the beginning you don't see there's still the fruit but then later on so they came they worked hard then the fruits we have took them very easy I saw the the one number one thing for us to be successful and that's how we saw in the golden age was acceptance of diversity and different mindset and mm-hmm. things like that because after let's say if you look how Iraq let's say suddenly became Muslim and Syria and things it didn't stop there because you see other people start entering coming into these exactly, countries and things exactly. and a lot of people sort of like converted at that time or found the light of Islam through that acquisition of knowledge you know because they were so focused on knowledge and it was constantly focused on progress and you know finding the solution to things and everything um, and they kind of like obviously found the bare core solutions and uh, sort of drafted them out from the knowledge that Allah originally provided us you know and I would say the most important thing that we're missing these days unfortunately is what drives them you always mm-hmm. look Okay, you have good knowledge, you have good things. What drove them? You exactly. understand? So maybe it can exactly. be the same thing. Uh-huh. So you look, subhanAllah, in our days, if you know he doesn't get a good paycheck, good salary and things, why does he have to find a solution, let's say, for cancer and things like exactly, that? Exactly, exactly. Back then, what, what was your payment? Allah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Allah rewards. That's it, done. I've got my paycheck. Uh-huh. I'll make the best solution for cancer, for whatever disease there is. Yeah, it was different systems. Like the economical system was different. The way we live in this economy obviously sort of forces us to function a different way. And kind of can bring us away from the consciousness of Allah. Or like at that time what they did, even a simple basic exercise of seeking knowledge would bring them closer to Allah, you know. Because obviously they were rooting that knowledge from Islam, you know. Like so many of these um, uh, pieces of knowledge that are scattered within the Quran. Like, you know, how the world was made, how like, you know, a man is made. Like, you know, how everything happens from A to Z. The systems and everything was explained as well and how the human nature is and everything, you know? So, like, they found sciences and so many parts of the Quran, like, you know, they crafted out different subjects into the world that we learn today. Sciences, psychology, sociology, you know? Um, all types of different sciences, even mathematics. Yeah. So many of the um, founding, um, you know, sort of members... I'll give you a better example, even. Yeah. Algebra, which yeah, is exactly. an Arabic word. Algebra. Uh-huh. Chemistry, which is kimya. Exactly. You got a lot of words that even d- derive from us. Uh-huh. No, that is that is so interesting, you know, because like we start basically sort of made the most sort of um, inventions within those sciences, you know, to begin with. And that sort of gave the structure of subjects and then whatnot. And actually, the uh, United Nations came out with this, um, you know, this uh, research of like the world's oldest university. And the first two of them were based in like, you know, Muslim lands. I think one of them was Morocco. Well, Morocco, yes. And one of them maybe Tunisia, I'm not sure. Yes. But um, that is a really interesting concept that we look at that. During the early years of Islam, like, you know, we really focused on building science and knowledge. And then later on, obviously, if you look at the trajectory, like, we don't understand, like, what happened, you know, during the later years when we sort of lost touch of that. And obviously, we can go into, like, um, this conversation about the different problems that occurred. But let's focus on Islamic golden age, you know, like, how do you find it? Like, you know, interesting, the facts about it, the influences of it. What is your basic understanding of golden age of Islam? So maybe 
it, to put it in other ways, like I say, my main thing that I see was diversity, diversity all the time and things. Mm -hmm. Maybe in, to put it in a nice way, I always think about it like that. Allah has created, let's say, lions, tigers, let's say, alligators, whatever there are types of and species and things like that. Let's say Allah created me as a lion. Mm -hmm. You know, I have claws, I have teeth and things like that. Then still, I met other species, which are, let's say, the birds. Okay. And they have, which they have wings, they have different things. And I came to them, I learned the language, we mixed our knowledge together and things. Now I can fly. With my having my claws and things, I can fly. And then they have also acquired my abilities and things. Later on, I met, let's say, sharks or fishes and things like that. Now I learn how to swim. Now I can fly, swim, and use my claws. Same that is an amazing that. example. MashaAllah, man. That is an amazing example because I really like how you presented the way that we absorb information, we absorb like different qualities from each other, you know? That is like the influence of uh, being with each other and whatnot. And you know, it's just like a thing in like, you know, at that time, people could have absorbed like so much information, you know? And it would be like factual information, it would not be like, you know, a lot of like misinformation because they would give like the deals with it, you know? They would give like yes. what they believe in and how does it lead to the, you know, conclusion that X is equal that was to That always an answer, know? yes. Yo, Exactly. And obviously, as you mentioned before, they appreciate different viewpoints, you know, yes. diversity of viewpoints, because if you don't have tolerance towards different viewpoints, and if you have like this one viewpoint that you're trying to enforce upon everyone, it's not because every person is different. Of course, you're right? going to catastrophe exactly. if there's no difference. Exactly. We have different mindsets, we think different ways. And obviously that factors into how, you know, we may hold different viewpoints, and we might not have to agree with each other on everything, you know. So that is the beauty of um, uh, like, you know, how speech works and everything but um sort of transitioning from that after that uh you know sort of um, um process you had in syria and like you know the whole immigration thing happened and you came out here so you came to chicago first then right yes okay and then uh, you came to this area of Villa to Park this area specifically yes well did you have it in mind before that okay i'm gonna go there and i'm gonna go to this area like or like was it just randomized SubhanAllah, I think a lot with everything. There was some plan, a little bit, but still even this planning was made at the end. I even never thought of it, never even made my own planning. It was, SubhanAllah, okay. Allah planned. Oh, mashallah, okay. And then um, once you came to this area, like, I think you came straight to Willowbrook, right? Willowbrook, when yes. I spent my first okay. year and it was, it was nice. Right, and then I want to talk about how our first interaction was. Because this was the same year that I came from Pakistan as well. And this was my first class as well, just like you. And uh, I remember we didn't talk much at that time. But like, you know, I think it was the second semester when you came, right? I think so, yes. Yeah, so like second semester, when we're in human geography class. And our teacher was Jimenez, right? Yes. And he taught like amazing human geography. So like kudos to him. But, you know, if I Jimenez remember, is watching that, I just was saluting. Yeah, I think you guys have a picture together too, yes, right? Yes, yes. But um, I know, like, when you were in that class, like, you came uh, into that class, and I was so surprised. I was like, yo, like, who is this dude? And then I came to know of you and, like, you know, how everything uh, was and everything. Um, but I remember, like, him and his classes was fun. And, like, you know, after that, I think you slowly, like, started to get to know, like, the rest of the Muslims that were in Willowbrook and everything, right? It was a shock for me. No one even, there's Muslims and schools and MSA right. and things. You yes. weren't expecting that. I never expected at all. Not even 1%. Right. Okay. <laughs> Damn. So that must have been like a nice start to the community for you, right? Yes, yes. And I, I felt empowered. You know, I felt that mm -hmm. I have brothers and things. Nice. That's why I even started wearing my scarf and things. Okay. So that I, gave I you like confidence. Something. Like, okay. Yes, it gave me confidence. I'm going to like express myself yes, creatively. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that's nice. why I started hearing even people always questioning. Yeah, what kind of, you know, who who, who is this guy? You know, Kim looks like new right. and things like that. Always, the funny thing I always mentioned to people, I always used to hear, 
what what kind of triangle is that he's wearing all the time on his shoulders? Uh-huh. Yeah, and people would like to know more about that. And it's, it's always our beauty, our duty to all show the truth, you know, spread it and things like that. Exactly. So you think there is a sort of truth that you can weigh? Uh, through your culture, through like you know the stuff that you wear, you know, is there like a part of like a bigger conversation? I think so. I think, and uh, the the biggest thing that I see in humans, and I always try to get into that, is humans. They always, you know, wanted to know what is that. They're always looking for. They're curious. Curious. Curiosity, curiosity. Yes, which we call in Arabic fudur. That's what the word I was looking for. They're always curious. They want to know what is this. What is that. And subhanAllah, that's why Allah is even making us, you know, a big favor that we're always in the news. Even though it's sometimes good news, bad news, we're always there. And that's why we're creating curiosity here and there, curiosity. Right. I used to even get a lot of questions. Yeah, well, what kind of religion you have? Yeah, we, we saw, but we never knew about it. And it was nice. It's, it was working for my favor. Right. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean, that is interesting. Um, and do you want to talk more about how your first interactions with like you know the American people were when you like first came out here. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's a that's a long story. I think uh, one of my easy to to explain ex- interaction and thing like that was my very very first salam and salutations to a person. What I came, of course, probably you seen TV and things like that. Right. We even kissed the cheeks of each other. Salam uh-huh. alaikum and hugs and stuff. I came with a handshake. I just came close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's happening? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> So it was strange. It I was, was in a shock. Yes, I was a little bit in a shock. Okay. And later on, I started learning about that. Right, yeah. Some people like do that and some people don't. Yes. That makes sense. I think majority don't. Right, 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 yeah. I think a lot of people who are Muslims, like obviously that's built into, um, you know, our brotherhood and everything. Yes. So people be doing that. But um, yeah, man, interesting point. So how did you get into calligraphy? Like, tell me more about that. Was that something that was like a childhood passion of yours or like? It was a little bit. So it has a little bit of, uh, of Islamic story behind it. Okay. As you know, sometimes probably maybe not, you're not an artist, so maybe you haven't heard this hadith. Of all artists, of course, they have heard that hadith where it is discouraged to draw humans, draw creatures and things mm-hmm. like that. And I always look to that and maybe yes, maybe no, what should I do? You know, always look into my consciousness. You know, what is, what is, what but you always have that place? artistic drive. Yes. Okay. So I used to draw people, faces, human, my friends and things. And one day I thought, you know, Allah says, whoever leaves something for the sake of Allah, Allah will reward them with something much better. 100%. And that's why I looked at I say, okay, Allah, give me something from whatever you have, and I'll leave it for your sake. Right. Whatever it is, I accept it. And subhanAllah, that's what started the calligraphy showing to me. I see letters here and there, massages, subhanAllah, I started suddenly focusing you on You started being things. more yes. aware of that. More aware. Mm-hmm. I suddenly that I bought my first, first qalam, even though I <laughs> it wasn't sharpened. This I is back in Syria? Or? Yes, it was okay. back in Syria. That's why I started learning. I, I liked it. And then I started adding those Islamic design, the floral design, things like that. And it worked well. And actually, I was even more passionate about it more than the, the art that I used to do before. Nice. And then, would you agree that to a lot of, like, you know, scopes where Islamic involve, art is involved, um, there's, like, this sense of geometricity, you know? There's, like, geometric sort of structures and stuff like that. If you look at the masajid, if you look at how our architecture is in, like, different areas... Yes. Um, it's like really geometric, you know, like circles and like, you know, I don't know how to like describe it. If you know the word geometry, you know, probably know what I'm talking about. But you know the structures that I'm talking yes, about, right? Yes. Like how they sort of write um, the verses in this circular fashion. Yes. And, you know, it's like all looping out together. And it's like really like mesmerizing. Yes, of course. And always remember, Allah is beautiful. Allah himself is an artist. Exactly. That's how you see. I mean, calligraphy came because of Allah. Uh-huh. And it's our duty. 
even if you're not an artist, not calligrapher, but you have to look beautiful all the time. You have to resemble. So the thing is about see in general, but more specifically to calligraphy and things, but in general, let's say you. I never met you, I never heard your voice and things. But the first thing I look at you is your clothes, how everything looks. Maybe you have nice ring, nice scarf and things. I like this person. This person looks nice, looks smart and things. Even though maybe he hasn't even gotten a degree, never went to school. Right. It makes that look, first impression, yes. yeah. One of my students actually, he's a revert, and Spahala was asking about his story. What you know, got into Islam? He said the calligraphy. No he way. Used to see okay. it. He liked it, yeah, compared to other things and other artworks and he just fell in love with it. That's what the reason how he became a Muslim. So these small things, these small influences around us, which slowly, you know, your awareness starts to catch can sometimes drive you to Islam. You know? Yes, yes. That's why it's said that, you know, we should always look our best and behave the best because our behavior or our like, you know, um, how we sort of are with other people that can sometimes like, you know, drive people to Islam yes. and, you know, sort of uh, make that sort of sense of brotherhood really strong in their hearts, you know, because like, yes. Uh, nowadays, you know, like how people function and how people are like so distant from each other based on like, you know, these pointless conflicts and whatnot. They just need that sense of brotherhood, sense of like, you know, someone being there for them and whatnot, yes. you know. And Islam provides all of that, you know, yes, when yes. you sort of come into influence with any of these, uh, you know, calligraphy, art, you know, how the architecture is based and everything, you know, the sound of the Quran, so stuff like this. You sort of get welcomed into, you know, this community that fosters brotherhood and sisterhood. But obviously, you know, it's a part of a bigger conversation where converts sometimes do not get the right attention and they get singled yes. out. Obviously, um, you know, we can go more into that. Yeah, of course. Remember, and one more point maybe I would like to mention that Allah gave a very important religion, the main religion on earth and things, and he wanted to support it with very good culture, very strong one. You have to show strength. Right. Because sometimes... Like let's say you are influenced by someone, not because maybe how he looks or something. Like it. It's it's because of everything. Because he is strong, doesn't doesn't mean by muscles. Could be by a lot of things. I have studied many languages. I have learned a lot of art or art types and things like that. I even know Chinese calligraphy. Oh nice. Whatever you compare to Arabic calligraphy, that's it. That's no way. That's not even comparable. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so Allah really gave us very good gifts. So us to be always strong and present this religion in the best way possible. 100% man, that is a great point. What do you think sort of drove the openness, uh, you know, of your mind towards different cultures, towards different ideas? Was it something that you always had or was it something that you, like, got when you came out here? So I never had, and I was actually against that. I never knew. I remember my couple of conversations with my family members and friends back in country that, for example, you know, be aware of these specific group of people or the specific group of people don't you know try to go close to them or near them or they okay. do this they do that you know it could be specific. was that like based on stereotypes that you had based before? on based stereotypes maybe what you see in the movies and things like that which is okay. all wrong mm -hmm. I came here I remember my my very very first interaction with another Muslim and he alhamdulillah became Muslim he's the best friend no I, way I've been seeing him as a brother he was from Mexico okay and I remember when I first first worked with them I worked me and him alone it was uh, in a car dealership and he was working a little bit far from, far from me, and I was by myself. I was in a car working on it. And I remember he was looking at me, and I was looking at him. I say, you know, I'm scared. I remember all these words and things my people keep telling me. I was like, if this guy comes slow to me, I'll punch him. You know, I'll, I will I'll prepare myself. Right. You know, I just, I hope this guy doesn't come close to me. And it's probably by the time, you know, more and more knowing him and things, I found that he was actually the most scared about me. The most, like, who cared more most about me. My driver license was because of him. Too many things. He was even the guy who 
even before he became Muslim, opened his house for me and things like oh, that. Wow, okay. More than even my own people. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. And that's why the first step was, not, not everyone is bad, you know, I would like to know more about that. That's why I start seeing other than Mexicans, maybe Slavs and Russians, Americans themselves, Daisies, Indian, Pakistani. It's a, it's a lot of colors over there. There are a lot of, you know, types of flowers and, and, and a lot of things. Exactly, bro. I've faced like such a similar thing. Because uh, like, I know when we first came here and stuff like that, obviously you have these preconceived stereotypes about different people, right? Yes. That people are going to treat you like a, like a certain way. And like, you know, because you have the idea of like an entire group, you know, then you stereotype like, them like that. But then when you come out here and when you get treated good by a person of that community whoever you were stereotyping that kind of opens up your eyes that not everyone is like that that every person has a different humanity to them you know that before all these stereotypes before all these you know cultural restrictions they're a human being first and then if you can connect to that human part of them then you can you know make all these boundaries disappear yes yes indeed true i agree with that Right, for sure. So, Noor, uh, walk me through, like, uh, when you first came here, like, you know, you started off your schooling and everything. How was, like, getting work? You know, like, how did you sort of approach work and employment when you came out here? So, that's why also one of a lot of plans. I remember first day I was here, second day I was in a job, working. And I never thought about it. And the funny thing, I remember the roommate that I lived with, even though he lived here much longer than me, he was actually promised in getting that job. Second day I came here, I got his job. No way. And I felt bad because I'm living in the same house. I see him every day. And <laughs> Did you I tell took him? His job. He knew by himself. <laughs> okay. He came to me. Yeah, I heard that you got a job somewhere in there. Uh-huh. And that's why I forgot that it was his oh, job. Oh, damn. So even as Allah has written for me, uh, something about job that, you know, I still struggle until now that I feel like when I compare back into country, how a job controls everything over here. Life is the job. Yep. We're back in country, we enjoyed life a little bit more than here. Exactly. Even though maybe, you know, compared in aspect of maybe how much money you make and things like that. Of course, big difference over there. But still, mm-hmm. we were more happy. I think, like, once you, like, sort of understand the systems out here, you can get to that point where, you know, you don't, might not have to, like, work as much or, like, you know... Once you, like, you know, get that sort of skill and whatnot, you can make it so, like, you know, you can, like, have more enjoyment in your life, more free time and stuff like that. But obviously, everybody work, has their own approach and American, you know, dream towards, like, how yeah. they want to... And if you understand how rizq works or livelihood... Exactly. Yeah, if you really understand it, yeah, it, you'll see big difference. No matter mm-hmm. if you make 100,000 or 10,000. No, exactly. That works. is something that I sort of talked about in my last podcast as well, that... You know, you could have like a hundred different businesses going on. You know, you could have all these efforts that you're sort of involving yourself in. But whatever rizq that Allah has written for you, that will like happen, you know, by hook or crook. You know, that that will happen yes. no matter what. Yes. And uh, it's up to us to like, you know, sort of put all of our hope and faith into him and not worry about like, you know, every like single, you know, minuscule problem that exists you know because like as human beings we tend to worry so much about oh where's money gonna come from i want to buy this luxury i want to get into yes. this materialistic thing you know so we often forget consciousness of a lot yeah of that. course and remember let's say you make let's say two hundred thousand a year right i make let's say thirty thousand mm-hmm. for example i go to peach you know that's a good place i always yeah. get my things from there <laughs> i buy the small steak of halal meat of course right let's say it cost me ten dollars uh-huh. so i cut of course you're not gonna cook it all the way together let's say i cook it I want to, you know, treat myself. You went to a restaurant, you bought your stack of meat for $100. Right. I ate, you ate. Exactly. Same size, same everything. Exactly. It costs you more than mine. And both people are going to go in the same grade, yeah, you know? Yeah, same place. And it's going to just, 
same type, same sense of fullness. You know, yeah, exactly. Full more than me. It full, it's full. That's it. Exactly. No, that's a great point, man. Like, Allah takes care of even the birds, man. Like when they get out, like even the smallest, like worms and ants and everything, they all get their rizq at the end of the day. Yes. You know, that's why so, happy, happier, but full, fuller doesn't work. Exactly. Exactly. So tell me this, because um, especially with some South Asian Muslims, uh, you know, they're. This is this challenge where you know some I don't know how about like how it works in like in you know, a certain Arab societies, but like sometimes there's this enforcement of religion which kind of drives like children like you know when you're like being brought up with Islam and everything right. If you don't have the right approach towards the child and if you like sort of enforce certain ideas, it can actually drive them away from the religion and whatnot. Yes. You know, so like um, yes. and when that happens or when you're trying to like sort of practice Islam by force you don't have that awareness that consciousness of Allah which like you know allows you to figure out more things about the world right like these conversations that, that, that are fueled by that awareness but when it's enforced you cannot feel that right so what do you think like does it still does it also exist in Arab societies like you know unfortunately alhamdulillah I never had experience with that I was my mother was we called back in country uh you know, she was kind of free will. You do whatever you want. I'm right. sure that I trust you. I know that I've treated you good. I know I have, you know, raised you good and things like that. So I'll let you. Of course, if I went too much out of the track, yeah, then yeah, something will happen, right. yes. Uh-huh. But so far, I'm still with it. Every person has history. Every, every person has some, done something bad in right. his life. Right, no, and that is a part of being human for sure. Um, but do you think that when we're growing up, like what is the right, right approach that sort of parents should put towards their children in terms of like, you know, when it comes to um, growing up with that awareness. And since like, you know, like these concepts of risk and these concepts of like, you know, awareness about Allah, was that something for you that you sort of acquired at a young age or did it take time for you to like maybe go through certain obstacles and maybe feel really close to Allah? Of course, it took time. And I think the reason, I think the biggest reason was me coming here. That's how I learned it. Because Allah... He could, let's say, have created us in heaven just without the hustle of being in dunya and suffering and things. But it's always about the concept of learning. Learning. Exactly. That you have, you must learn. Mm-hmm. You, that's the manufacturer have written in his book that we must go into it so that we have learned it. Then that's it. Then we right. are good. So when I came here, you start going through these obstacles and things and you're still having trouble understanding the, the way how things work. And still Allah will teach you. Until you understand, He'll still teach you, teach you until you learn. Exactly, exactly. Yes. That is the same understanding that I had in my heart, bro. Because like, I know when I was going through those sort of obstacles when I first came here, I actually reached out to you. I don't know if you remember this, this is back in 2018, 19. Because um, when I came here and like when my parents back I went back, like I was still an unaccompanied minor, you know, I was yes. like 17 years old. And I was like, okay, I was panicking. Like, I'm not 18. How do I get into high school? And like, you know, they're going to sort of uh, approach, what is that, like child protection agency? Yes, yes. They're going to take me away or something <laughs> like that. I was scared, right? So I hit you up. I'm like, bro, like, how does this work? You know, and like, am I safe and everything? And I think we had like a conversation. Yes. And you assured me of safety. And so that, I really appreciate you for that. You know, because that conversation helped me in that tough time. Um, but how was it for yourself? Like, you know, how, like I want you to talk about your journey. Like living under 18 years old, like, you know, there were maybe certain jobs you couldn't get or certain things you couldn't do. How did you sort of like, live through all those obstacles and end up overcoming them. So Alhamdulillah, Allah, like I said, he has sent me some things that took care of me. And mm. that time, uh, my father has, you know, was recently passed away, maybe three, four years ago, mm. I remember, 2012. So mm. when I came here, Alhamdulillah, Allah sent me some good people who were friends of my father, and they were seen as my guard- guardians, I think they would call it in, in law over here. So if when I went to school and things like that, they would always ask, Oh, they would the take guy? care of that? Yes. Okay. 
So they were like, we are his guardians. So alhamdulillah, that was taken care of and things like this. It was, it was a different way of style over here, completely different. But yes, alhamdulillah, everything was taken care of. Oh, that's amazing to hear, mashallah, man, that you had that support, you know, in the back of your mind um, whenever you were going through that obstacle. Because, like, I know personally for me, like, you know, I had to, like, figure out a lot of stuff by myself and uh, basically, like, you know, FAFSA and stuff, college, so it was, like, so hard to figure out and whatnot. Um, but I'm sure, like, Allah has, like, a different plan for everyone. But I remember, like, as you were talking about that, Allah had a plan for you, you know. And then whenever I was going through my obstacles and stuff like that, you know, and... There were like so many extreme things like, you know, experiencing homelessness and stuff, all that type of stuff. I always knew that, you know, Allah had a plan and that unconditional faith in Allah, when Allah sees that, He puts like resources for you. He puts like those zarai, those channels for you yes. in this world where you can't even like see them. You don't understand where they came from, you know, you don't, yes. under, you don't understand where that food is coming from, where that money is coming from. That stability, where, where it's sort of rooting from. But obviously to sort of feel that, feel the effect of that, you need to have the consciousness and unconditional faith that you know whatever you're gonna do Allah's gonna figure out a way for you yes yes and of course I mean maybe you'll be surprised I somehow experienced some kind of homelessness oh no way okay so I almost went in every every single test in my life and that's why the way I am right now so okay. I when, you get to, when you're telling me this and things like yeah I was there I know exactly how it feels no way so wait like you lived in your car or something something similar like that okay. it was the same thing and that's why I figured out like either you have a house, no house, whatever you live in, even in your country or not here. I even people ask me, it's like, how do you like it over there? Do you miss your country? Do you like maybe living in your country and thing? I say, it doesn't matter. Even if I, let's say, live in China, as long as would you have a, a place where you worship Allah freely and have no issues and understand that wherever you go, I mean, you're living in plant earth where it rotates in like literally nowhere. Exactly. What's it going to be different if you're living under some rocks or some mm-hmm. woods and things like that? So it's really the same thing if you understand it. So that's how I feel it. I say, wherever I live, as long as Allah is there, I'm taking care of him. He's taking care of me. Right, 100%. So we were talking about basically different languages, right? And then uh, you were going to mention that you're basically fluent in how many languages? So if I could really count them, I think speaking and conversational and things like four or five. Four or five? What yeah. are those? So of course, Arabic and English. When I came here with my life with Latinos and things, I was able to catch... Spanish language. I was able to learn from a very, very famous professor, actually. I don't know if you've heard of. I know the brother behind the camera is probably been wanting to learn. <laughs> is He teaches a lot of people. His name was Mr. YouTube. Mr. YouTube. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> you, should, you should, you guys should maybe ask about him. Yes, he teaches for free. Yeah, um, okay. So you learned Spanish entirely through that. And then two obviously weeks, working yes. with your Latino friends. Yes. How was your first impression of the Latino community? Because, you know, obviously, um, when we're living out in our... Uh, like back home and stuff like that. We don't have like a direct impression of the Latino community. Yes. There's like few Latinos there and stuff, right? So when you came here, obviously Latino culture is huge out here, you know, like what was your first impression like? So of course there is a, some reason who made me even more interesting thing. When I found about the connection between Arabs and Latinos more and more and how I found even a whole country named after an Arabic tribe who came there and lived no in No way, talk yes. more about that. So you hear probably about Brazil. Right? Oh, Brazil. It's, it's Brazil? Yes. No way. Okay. Yes. And you'll be surprised. If you look at it on Google and things like that, they'll show you it's a type of tree that grows there and things like that. Some story they found out. Mm-hmm. But there's actually a huge tribe in Morocco that is called Barzal. Okay. Or Banu Barazil or some other name they have. Mm-hmm. Well, they have actually migrated there. I think they went with Columbus or they were brought or some other story. They that went so and they ended up in that place of land and they named it after their name. Wow. So okay. it's nice. So if you go, those countries have their own history. 
in the place where I work, I meet with them a lot. I end up to have to find like name words that even sometimes one piece of the land only speak it from the whole country. Okay. Speak like very Arabic words. And they look Arabic, but they speak only Spanish. Damn. And you get surprised. Like one guy, I think he was asking me, I work with a food man in a food pantry, and the guy asked me, I need batiha, batiha. And I thought maybe it was a desi guy or something, you're making fun of my Arabic and thing. Because it's called batiha, which is in a watermelon. And I mm-hmm. found that this guy was, I think, from I think either Venezuela or Argentina. No and I was Wow. And I asked other Latinos, like, you guys call the same thing? No, no, we never heard of that word. So there's like similar yeah. linguistic connections. Similar, as well. yes. Okay. And the more I go to my other brothers from Mexico, I hear names such as, for example, Alvarez, Fatima, I heard Aliyah oh, and things yeah. like that. Yes, that and you facts. explain to Arabic, Alvarez is Alfaris, which means like night. No way. Fatima is Fatima. Okay. Aliyah is Aliyah. Inaya, sometimes Ania, Inaya is Inaya. And Omar, of course, there's a very famous name in there. You got surprised. Even Medina. Medina, like, like our Medina. Yeah. So even the more I go deeper in that, I see sometimes tribe which as I get authenticated this information. I ask my friends, like, do it really happen that? Yeah. That they kiss sometimes their cheeks for each other when oh. they say salam or they say hi to each so other. So there's so many cultural similarities. So many things. So many things. It's to the point where you can trace it back. You, you can know? trace it back. Yes. Oh. And if you watch documentaries and things of Islam stories from Latinos and things, you'll hear a lot from them that, yeah, I traced back my family and I found they were Muslim. That's how I became Muslim. I imagine if like Spain was still Muslim and the Andalusian Spain like still existed, um, you know, the Latino community would look like completely different, you know? Of like, course. Oh, compared to what it is now but there i did not ever like you know uh know that you know those things were actually connected to the alvarez to alfaris you'll be surprised because i was so confused like you know the, they have similar names you know and like that's something that obviously we share with um you know more like white people american people with the christian sort of names that they have you know yes um but obviously that's those are like um he- hebrewic or like maybe like you know biblical names you know like yes. certain names that we have but in like um uh, the Spanish language, you know, we have it directly, like Omar and stuff like that. You know, yes. there's certain like um, words that are, are do- maybe like was do- were those like words like maybe turned into like a Latin format? Yes, of course, they were turned a little bit into Latin thing, ways of saying because it will be hard for them to pronounce it, say sin, salt, and things mm-hmm. like that. So they always find a way to make it more easy for right. them. Right, obviously, and, that makes sense. I mean, if you want to really know more. It's easy. Just read into, of course, you heard Christopher Columbus. Mm-hmm. Just read into his diary. Just read the first page. Probably you haven't heard this. I'll, I'll okay. let a little bit know yep. about that. So the first couple pages of it talks about when he reaches first in the place where, in the Caribbean, I think it was, mm-hmm. was the first step when he came. So the one of the things that he mentioned, he said he came to a place where he saw an, he saw a hill and he saw on top of that something looked like a masjid or a mosque. Okay. And he was surprised. You know, how come you know Muslims and things like that and and of course he didn't mention a lot but that gives you a lot of questions of course yeah, yeah. now look into another thing what was the place that he first arrived to so in Spanish or in their own language they call it, it it's a small island it's called Guanahani okay. and that's why you see like even most pirate movies and things like that they all show about Caribbean and things because that's where they, f- they first came so Guanahani is actually an Arabic word the story goes because Columbus never knew about these lands except someone has told them Three brothers, Andalusian brothers, named Ikhwan Hani. So the last name was Hani or something like that. Okay. Ikhwan means the brotherhood or the brothers. So a family of Hani. They went there one time. They found a huge land before, behind the steeds and things like that. They came back, all this gold and emeralds and things like that. Man, this sounds like the Pirates of Caribbean. The it Jack Sparrow. That's, that's how it came from. No way. Yes. So the story is like very connected with that? Of course, yeah. I mean, Jack Sparrow himself was actually a Muslim yeah, person. Yeah, no, I've heard that. I've yes. actually heard that. 
So when they came back and it's only the Spaniards and these guys shocked this golden thing, where they came from, the Israel land and things. So the Native Americans, when they were here, they were in this land and they found when the Muslims came and they were happy and they taught them the Islam and things, they gave them gift. They named the island that the first, first Muslim no step is Juan Hani. Wait, so the Native Americans had like a connect with Muslims way before yes, oh, of Mus- course. Like Muslims ever came to yes, this land? Damn, yes. okay. So they had an island named after them. Ikhwanahani is in Arabic, in Spanish, or the native language, Guanahani. No way. That is so interesting. I want to investigate that in further detail. Because like, you know, when we're looking at, um, you know, Islam's very first influences in the United States, right? Yes. Obviously, they say that 30% of the original slaves, the original African-Americans ever brought back to, uh, brought like from Africa to... Uh, U.S. to work and like you know they were enslaved and stuff. They said thirty percent of them were of actually Muslim. You know, they even found pages of Quran and things. That exactly, exactly. So like obviously Islam was like one of the f- very like few pla- very first few places that you know actually had the influence of Islam way before like you know obviously Andalusian, uh, Turkey and whatnot. But since it got to Africa and whatnot, they already were building their sort of uh, um history with Islam and the influence of yes. Islam. You know, back in Africa and when they came here. You know that sort of started off their trajectory. Um, you yes, know, in building their. I mean, just even read the treaties. Sometimes they they were signed between the Spaniards and the Native American. Okay. Wallah, you'll feel sometimes seeing names as Muhammad or Umar. No I think. way. I was shocked when I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> that so, is something I definitely have to look at. Even I think Christopher Columbus mentioned that when he came and saw the tribes and things. So we they used to call us Moriscos, which yes. is something like Moroccos or something uh-huh. like that, or Moors, Moros, Moors, Moors, which right. is like the darker ones or the red ones. Uh-huh. So when they came, when he came and he saw the women and thing. He mentioned his book. Uh, he said, I, I saw the ladies wearing a kind of dress looks, reminds me of the Moriscos. It's a Moorish woman, right? Something yes. like that? Yes. It's the way how the design works and things like that. So it reminds me of him a lot. So it, it's a lot of things. Of course, not going to show you that because they, unfortunately, you know, if that door was open, it a lot of things would be changed for sure. Right, right. That makes sense. But um, with this, like... I love like how this conversation about like language and about culture like intersects and connects with like so many different things that you wouldn't even know about. You wouldn't you would be mm. shocked when you hear like that, you know, Alvarez al Fares, you know, and that the native connect with Muslims way before Islam was, you know, actually brought into the United States with immigration and whatnot. Um, but those are like really interesting, you know, conversation and whatnot. So let's talk about Syria more, right? So um, when you came out here, was Syria still in that bad political climate? Was it like still on this path of destabilization or like? Yes, unfortunately, when I came here, it wasn't too good over there. Okay. My area was somehow good, livable, mm-hmm. somehow safe. But unfortunately, other areas, they weren't much. Right. So what do you think this uh, pathway of destabilization or this crisis like started off with? Was it something like around the Arab Spring? So it was something like that, and I don't like to call much Arab Spring because, unfortunately, I think, from what I think, even though there are many opinions and things like that, but if you think as a Muslim, as someone who, don't think well about yourself, but what's good for others and things like that. Exactly. It's a fitna. Where does this Arab Spring come from? Like, who started calling it the Arab Spring and everything? Who knows? Okay. I really never knew about it, but uh, it's a bigger plan that we ourselves, we do not know. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, it's lack of wisdom. It's uh, some ignorance, I would say. It reminds me of the Jahiliya time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. How just people fight. Why do you fight? Because his name was that. Or his father likes this guy. Or it's just his tribe. I like, like his just tribe. Like pointless conflicts. It's pointless thing. Yeah. For nothing. Mm-hmm. So they sometimes celebrate. Yeah, we, you know, get got this land back away from some people uh-huh. and things like that. 
and the other guys will be also happy that they did, did this success and something like that. Right, it becomes like an ego yeah. thing for for a yes. lot of people, and like people just at the end of the day, man, a lot of human beings and a lot of like people they like to oppress other yes. people so they can get a high off of it. They can find like superiority off of it. You know, they yes. like being in charge of others and like you know sort of telling them exactly what to do, enforce their ideas, and then if they get a no, they sort of like you know have like uh, measures against them and whatnot. You know, so if you see the trajectory of many Islamic empires. When this sort of corruption has started, people have delved into luxury and like you know all these material goods, and after that, that has corrupted their minds because it's distracted them from the consciousness of Allah. You know, if you sort of think more about it, like whenever you have a sort of um, emphasis on luxury in your life, you know, it sort of propels these distractions and they get you away from Allah. You know, so say you're yes. playing games, uh, you know, busy on the TV and whatnot. You know. The prayer times can go away and you wouldn't even course, know about it, course. you know. And then when you sort of come to question a lot of conflicts in the life and stuff like that, because you're not aware of a lot, yes. you know, you've lost the consciousness and therefore those systems have all also yes. diminished. I'll tell you actually this is based on a book. You're not actually even talking from out of nothing. A very famous person, probably heard of him, Ibn Khaldun. Of course, very okay. famous uh, sociologist and things like that. So he wrote in his book, which is something I like a lot, just like my favorite things that I knew. And it really goes to every empire, Muslim or non-Muslim, even any any empire that you ever 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 heard in the world. Okay, you will see the fall and the going up and things. He's mentioned in his book. So he says, every empire ever on earth going through four phases. There are hard times that create tough people. These tough people will create prosperous time. This prosperous time, a rich time, will create weak people and spoiled people. These spoiled people will create hard times back again. Because it's a cycle. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a cycle. Never changes. Because look at Syria. We had very good life. Alhamdulillah. Extremely good life. Compared to other countries, very nice. Healthcare was free. School was free. A lot of things. Like I, I mentioned at the beginning, the government used to support a lot of aspects of life, food and things like that. They okay. used to take loss. Life was very good. Unfortunately, and I was even one of these persons where we were very spoiled. I never mm-hmm. worked. Because, yeah, the father takes all the burden. He works all his life until... Whatever it is. So right. these spoiled people somehow, unfortunately, couldn't take lead of this country. And we start seeing a decline in mm-hmm. things. Now we see tough times. So if you go right now and say after being like maybe more than 10 years through the war and things like that. If you go there, you see a lot of people who have somehow you survived. Somehow, I don't know how even they survived the war and tough times and things. They are really strong. Like when I hear this, the small daily issues like. My phone is not working good, or my car is, has no AC and things. Yeah. I left. You go over there, yeah, he didn't eat meat for one month. Damn. And yeah, I mean, I was one of them. Right. I, I remember he used to get one kilogram of meat, which is, I don't know how many pounds works over here. My mother used to cut it to 10 pieces. And in the food, you don't have to fill the meat, but at least taste the meat, put it in there. No way. And okay. I was very lucky to have that. Some mm-hmm. people maybe didn't have that at all. That and alhamdulillah, you see, they're very tough people and they depend on themselves. They're very good. Exactly. Don't look at that. Look at what's going to come after it. Because mm-hmm. even the U.S., you see the skyscrapers and things like that. Very nice life, right? But we're not the ones who built it or our generation. They were the people who survived the civil war, the problem, the issues. They were in a very tough times. They came after it. It was purpose. You know, they created good times. Those tough people. That's why you start seeing all this nice building and good economy and things like that. No, unfortunately, I see the cycle still going. Exactly. And you see this day, like I said, no AC in the car, biggest problem in the whole world. And this is not a good sign because one's going to come after it. Mm-hmm. See, it exactly. reminds me of my country. Hopefully nothing uh-huh. happens. 
you know, I don't like to see any more issues in the world, but always be careful. Right, 100%. That is like the cyclical nature of the world, you know, and how everything can go from like being the best thing ever to crumbling and like, you know, shattering into pieces and whatnot. And we just have to learn a lesson from this, you know, like after every obstacle, every every problem, you know, that Allah puts us towards, you know, it's not really like a failure at the end of the day that you have to take it as a heart that was like a failure of life or failure of experience. At the end of the day, it's just a lesson, you know, that strengthens you yes. even more and prepares you for successful outcome outcomes, inshallah, in the life. Um, but I want to sort of uh, take this transition and like, you know, talk about more like um, your life out here, right? Like, so you came out here, did schooling, did, like started work and everything. And then your family was still there. Yes. Okay. So did you sort of like start a process of like bringing your family here? And what was life like? Like, obviously, you know, you were close to your mom and everything. Like, you know, would you like miss her a lot when you were out here and stuff like that and sort of like miss her presence and everything? So that's a good question. Of course, everyone misses each other and things like that. I came here when I, of course, like I got mentioned my father passed away. You know, I lived with my mm -hmm. mother maybe most of my time. Didn't much work because that's how I was raised on. Father took care of everything and things like that. So I've been away from my mother maybe th since 2016. Okay. It's and you visited, right? Like you visited. I visited like for one or two months, which is still doesn't count much. I still saw her. I do miss her, but I feel... But you guys keep in contact. Like I would, of course, keep in contact right? or because of power issues and things like that. But I feel myself, I'm stronger a little bit. Allah has taught me a lot of things. Maybe I don't... Maybe miss her in the way that I used to be before. You know, like I cannot do nothing no more and things like that. Now I miss her in a way that I have good life, alhamdulillah, and I would like to share that with her. Mm. Before, I didn't have that, and I just miss her. Right. But what's the point of missing her? Right. Now right. I really miss her because I want to share the good moments uh -huh. with her. So like when she finally ability. comes out here, you have yes. an established I had the ability that I actually misses her because uh -huh. I want to sh show her the good life, finally. Right. No, that makes sense. So all this like political climate in Syria and everything, what do you think was the biggest element that sort of, um, you know, led the country into a downward spiral? Like I said, unfortunately, and disrespecting of other opinions other viewpoints mm -hmm. and things like that was this like within the people or like within the government versus the people I, I would say that from my own experience from my own opinion maybe some people have different things of course everyone is right it's like in a very famous saying they say all roads leads to Rome okay. have you heard something like that yes, so you yes. have the goal and you can take any road you want it will still lead to the same thing my own viewpoint my own road I would say unfortunately it's from us Allah always put this to us. Allah always says even in a lot of things, I would say it's lack of wisdom and patience that mm -hmm. led us to that. If it was just, let's say, by mistake, I stepped on your foot or I hit you by mistake and things like that. You are Muslim after all. You should understand me. Always put 99 excuses. That's why many of the scholars to do 99 excuses. One of the brothers, long time ago, I heard that in a book written, they one of the guys in, the, I think, in the community came to him and he wanted to make an issue between him and one of his best friends. Right. And he said, you know, this this guy did, did this. And what are you going to do? He said, you know what? Even if I saw this guy came to me and his beard was just leaking wine, for example, he said, I would say someone has just threw the wine on him or he exactly. something to something. Yes, assume the best of yes. always something. There's always something. Exactly. So I would say same thing. Unfortunately, we don't have much, a lot. We have very short patience and things like that. We don't understand. If someone did something, it's on purpose. Exactly. What do you think, bro, has brought us to this level where we sort of um, 
you know, obviously we were talking about Golden Age of Islam. You know, we were pioneers of that. We were so focused on knowledge and being the best to each other and everything. What brought it to the level that, you know, even if someone steps on another one's foot, like, you know, you might even, like, you know, get, like, into serious trouble or you, like, hit each other and, like, you know, go and, like, call up your people and, like, you know, have a gang wars and everything, right? What got us to this low level of humanity, you know, from the point that we were at before? There's a lot of reasons. And subhanAllah, we're just talking that maybe we're thinking that we live in the worst times ever in history and things right. like that. If you look actually a little bit before, there's actually times that even were worse than that. For example, when the Mongolians came and invaded, for example, Iraq, when they came there, just read how they used to behead people like yeah. chiefs and things. So the Muslim bad. even from the low on, the, the no more dignity he has and things like that, that Muslim was just like literally nothing. When they would come to a village and let's say grab a group of people, they want to say kill them or something like that. The Muslim would just put his head ready just to be beheaded, done. He doesn't, we wouldn't even defend himself. So we were at a very low point at our, in one, one of our times. And somehow we came after we stood and things. I would say we have the solution, you know, the book in our hand. Just follow it. Be good with Allah. Allah will take care of the rest for you. Mm-hmm. Because all after all is test from Allah. 100%. See? No, that is very That's true. That's what it is. That's what we're missing. Right, right. No, that is very true. So taking just a light transition, um, what you guys see us drinking out here is this tea that is crafted by Noor. You know, it's really delicious. And like it's like it's light it's lighter you know it's not like adani chai from like uh Kavao's, which like kind of is like really strong but i li- like like how light it is and how refreshing it is it's really refreshing mashallah yes so it is nice you want to talk more about like teas and like the different sort of interests you delve in so a lot of people in willowbrook right a lot of the muslim community out here they've been a fan of how you decorate things right like your car and everything you have like decorated in a really oriental way what drives these influences do you think like your last name and that uh, you know, like, what does that mean again? Al-Majdub, it comes from a word of jadb, which means to attract something usually, right. or something attracted to you. Uh-huh. So, from my understanding, Majdub, it's more like a religious word that you use when, say, you do zikr or, like, say, enlightened or something, whatever situation happens to you, you become Majdub to Allah, that you are attracted to Him and mm-hmm. that you feel you're lost in His love or His in Allah Himself, so you know you are outside of this dunya and this right, world. Right, that makes sense. Do you think the meaning of that word sort of actuates itself in your life when you're like you know creatively expressing yourself with like you know a calligraphy or like maybe like you know finding different types of teas and sort of like trying to make them and um, decorating everything and whatnot? What do you think that drives you? So it's a very simple answer I would say for that. Subhanallah, in this country, you can be anything you want. If let's say there's some people who drink beer, I like to drink tea. It's just mm-hmm. because I like it. It's my way of exactly. life and things. I always say we have a very strong culture. Mm-hmm. Why not just show it? There's, right. Everyone is fighting for his own culture. Fight for yours so too. So the expression yes. of it matters to you a lot. Of course. And just like I mentioned the point just previously, Allah created us a lion. Uh-huh. Be a lion. Have your own. Right. Why do you got to, let's say, get feathers just like a chicken and put them and say, yeah, I want to be a chicken. Imagine a lion having the feathers on himself and he would like to just be like a chicken get the personality of it and things. Like it as a line. You are strong. Exactly. You're standing out. Yes. Right? Be like that. So mm-hmm. never, nothing to worry about. 100%. So, um, like, right, we talked about teas and stuff like that. So let's talk about like different rings, right? I see you have an interesting set of rings out here and stuff like that. What do you think um, rings sort of represent to you? So, of course, a very important point of how to show yourself, you know, be special, be different and always show beauty. 
So no more than a, a point of just showing beauty and mm-hmm. something like that. Of course, there's a lot of other theories and stories with I just heard that people say it brings energy, whatever it is. Of course, that's not a very valid reason for me. Yeah, yeah. they look beautiful. Why right, not? 100%, 100%. Yes. And maybe an interesting story to share. They say that we haven't water rings before. We never knew even they exist under the ground, except that if it wasn't for Jin to show us that we you know, wear rings and things like that. Oh, okay. So talk more about it. that. How did that sort of come into being? I don't want to scare the people, <laughs> but they say that the kings of Jin and the people, they used to wear rings and okay. things like that. And, okay. and they know that because they have lived, of course, more than us on Earth and they know their secrets. Right, right, right. So say if we sort of um, give this theory of these stones having energy for a little bit, right? We give emphasis to that theory. We give like strength to that story anyways. That ring, like that stone on the ring having power and having energies. And now we're sort of correlating that with Jin sort of wearing it and stuff like that. Does that sort of bring into this idea of like jinns having those different energies and maybe um how would they like use say if rings had energies right how would they use the rings energies for their own benefit or um how would it work like do you sometimes like maybe like connect two different things and think about it like how would they be actually you know behaving or interacting with it i would say the first thing in my mind just like the black stone now this is a red stone of course we know the story of how earth was created space was there you know Allah sent or made things in earth and things just like how he made the black stone maybe he made those other stones which is Haqiq that's one of them you have Eye of the Tiger you have Fairuz you have things like that mm-hmm. they could have maybe their own secrets maybe prehistoric pre-even human history and mm-hmm. things like that maybe there's like certain ilm about it about like rings and uh, about like stones and everything that we may be masked from you know because like I don't know if you sort of believe in like you know different types of ilm and like there's like certain types of ilm that Allah will never expose you to in, in this yes. life you know that will only be sort of shown when you're in the afterlife and yes. everything you know so maybe a lot of stuff about jinns because there's so much cur- cur- curiosity about like jinns and everything and how they interact and maybe they're in like different dimensions some people like you know sort of say they're in different planets and whatnot so what is like your theory about that do you sometimes like wonder about that or you're like you know I'll just see in the afterlife. Oh, man. You look like in a very hurry to know about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, why not? If people would like to know about these kind of things. From what I know, what I read, and I was also interested, just like you, who are those guys? Who are this and this? Mm-hmm. So, of course, we do not see them. We know that they exist. We may not feel them and things. Just think about Wi-Fi, for example. Right. What is Wi-Fi? Who taught us and things? And suddenly yes. you see a point of history where suddenly we had nothing. Or like basic way of life and things. Something that there was a sudden job, jump with this TV, electricity, you know, Wi-Fi and things like that, that really have not much explanation, like a TV. Explain to me really like a good common you know, explanation of what is a TV. There's really always something hidden back right. there. Maybe some of our knowledge is we got from Jin, who knows, in our time. Exactly. No, there's like this one uh, Sufi Sheikh, right? Like, um, I think he's from Turkey or something. And he sometimes makes videos on these things. I don't know if you've encountered any of them on YouTube. But he says that, you know, these computers, these motherboards and the computers are made in a way where sort of, you know, Jinns are interacting with them and whatnot, you know. So it's an interesting thing. Could these like, uh, you know, energies of uh, Jinns and whatnot could actually be used in technology and how if you see like how ai is progressing how like your phone could be just lying here and you could just like you know have suggestions on the phone of whatever maybe you were thinking or whatever you were saying the phone catches that right and then it uses that in advertising against you and whatnot so 
maybe you know Jinsar if some involvement here I don't know you know but I, I don't think we can say a complete no or a complete yes you know because like yes. there's so much speculation because you know? always hear stories about even you know they have wars they fight and things right. one thing I would like to share with you based on the many stories I hear and things you know of course based on hadiths for example that they are Mu'min jinn and kafir jinn right? right believers and non-believers right. they must have kings they must have kingdoms from what I heard there is a kingdom for Mu'min jinn that exists somewhere right but you're asking which will exist is that is that Barbie <laughs> is that the woman <laughs> no 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 it has nothing to do with that so many stories actually say it exists in the Umayyad mosque okay which is in Syria in Damascus oh, okay, okay. where is the same masjid that Prophet Isa will come over there which is the same masjid that if you look into history which wasn't a masjid even before it was a church before it wasn't church it was a temple before it even was be a temple it's a spot who knows what it was but used this for. exact same place, this Omar yes. Mosque that you're talking yes. about. Yes, they is say that's the kingdom of Mu'min Jinn. That's where their main headquarters and is this like that. Uh, is something is some place where you've personally been? Of course. I mean, I lived over there, close to there. Oh, it's close As to there. You go there, you feel the energy. You feel you something feel different. Energy? Yes, okay. you feel it. Even especially the more you hear about the history. And, and what is stories. this mosque called again? O- Umayyad Mosque, or in mosque. Arabic, it's Masjid Amawi. Okay. Which, because of the name Bani Umayyah, the Umayyad people who came before the Abbasid. Right, that makes sense. That is really interesting. I would love to like visit there and of course. feel the energy firsthand and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean this conversation about like jinns is pretty interesting and in how they've like. Do you think like back um, in uh, the kingdom of Hazrat Sulaiman and who was called Solomon in the biblical language? The influences of how jinns interacted with his civilization that still remain to this day. Because, like, a lot of people talk about, um, I don't know if you know, have you, like, delved more into Sufi mysticism? A little bit. I didn't want to bother much. I say too many things on my head happening, but I read a little bit, of course, curiosity. I think um, from some Jewish mystics I've talked to, is like Jewish mystic uh, mysticism, obviously, you know, they involved. Uh, a different part of like you know these spiritual arts and whatnot you know and sometimes maybe it also crosses the door of witchcraft and whatnot but what they've told me is like they practice kabbalah which is their uh version I of heard Sufism. Something like yeah that, yes so kabbalah is like you know it messes with different types of energies and whatnot and i'm pretty sure if you were to like investigate it, it would have some like you know um correlations with jinn and whatnot because at the end of the day you could be christian muslim eh, or like you know jewish but you would have these same creatures right you yes. would have these same um, it's always there in the nature. of course I mean I've seen different nations and that's how I'll even end up learning the language and things let's even go for example in Japan they always have these monsters looking like that look like half humans oh half yeah things. I know that's yeah that's go sweet. to Egypt they almost have the same thing not even that you go to uh, uh, the, the Mayan, the Mayan uh, uh, civilization things there's actually a very famous uh, creature over there that looks like a hawk but has belly of a human the same, same, same creature, and he's all holding a bag. You'll see the same thing in the Mesopotamian civilization. Okay. Same thing. Staden have something in his hand. So these creatures, like, sort of have a lot of parallels. Who knows? Maybe they live in there. Yes. Maybe that he taught us a lot of things and stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, the, for example, for my own my own theory, they always talk who built the pyramids, who did this and that. Let's talk for us Muslims. You know, when you go there, see those, para- uh, what do you call it? Hieroglyphic mm-hmm. artwork and things like that. You always, always see half human, half animal. Right, half human, right. half animal. Which is a little bit mentioned in hadiths. A little bit. Prophet tells us about that they are mixed. Some of them in their flight, some of them they swim, mm-hmm. some of them they're like reptiles and things like that. So when you look at that, 
look into more history, they had a lot of magic that was involved in their community and things like that. Right. And of course, you know how Jinns have a lot of power and they can build things fast and things like that. Who knows? Maybe they had a lot of people help. have discussed that that you know yes. Jinns might actually be behind like building pyramids and whatnot. You always you know? see them there. You always see their drawings and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, hundred percent. Like maybe yeah, jinns could be actually like in their appearance wise, like have like half body of human or like half whatever. But that's the thing. Like so many of these influences and these cultures and these civilizations that have passed way before our time, these are hidden, right? Like we're probably not gonna find out the ultimate truth about it until the day of judgment when everything you know we can see it with our own of eyes course. and what everything exists. And if you want to know more? Just read about some uh, hadiths and history of the prophet and things. And maybe I would share some nice, interesting history. It will scare you when you see something like that till your home from now on. <laughs> that when Islam was spreading, you know, with time of the Prophet and things like that, the Prophet says, I think, which form I remember, that if you see a snake or a scorpion or something like that in your house, don't kill it. Give it three days. If it doesn't leave your house, then you can kill it. He said, those are your brothers and sisters from your jinn who have no Islam, yes. Okay. And give it some time to leave from your house and things. Some things were happening. Maybe yeah. they were given order to live somewhere else. Who knows? You know, just like Allah when He gave the the order to all the animals around the world just mm-hmm. to go in the, the the ark and ship and go sail. Mm-hmm. Same thing that was given, and they were given time to leave. It yeah, hundred percent. There's like so many things you can speculate out of that. Yes. You know, so it's definitely interesting. Um, but when you came out here, how were you able to like get all these influences? And I see you have all these carpets and everything, right? Yes. Did you have to like? Um, bring them with you whenever you guys were visiting or like did you just like get them from here of course many of them were here I mean these carpets that you even see in non-Muslims houses and things like that mm-hmm. they are called Persian carpets right right the and the original things, idea of carpets the original was, from there yeah. yeah and they use it from us just like mm-hmm. how our influence are just everywhere in either hospitals schools even in the houses and decoration our influence is there yeah exactly I got many things are from here and they look nice and they look art- oriental done mm-hmm. you know why not bring right. it to my house Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Does it like? Do you think like your ancestry and where you're from? Like you said, Andalus in Spain, right? We're gonna delve more into like how your ancestry sort of comes from there. But do you think um, being like you know from there, like you know your ancestry, that sort of inspires you or like orients you in a way where like you know uh, you get accustomed to like you know all these Oriental things and like um, like you like that your expression, that your representation is sort of like around that. Maybe a little bit, I would say. I'm always proud that, you know, alhamdulillah, of course, we're all the same, but always be proud that someone has fought for that and died for that. To exactly, to exactly. It. No, because like a lot of people, like obviously a lot of like civil, uh, civilizations that existed within the Islamic eras, um, people usually like, you know, fought for land and when they were victorious, you know, like, like the message and the religion spread and everything. But... Andalusia, what it was like really special for, like it was like the birthplace of knowledge, you know, it was the birthplace of all these different things. And um, a lot of people were inspired because of Andalusians, like, you know, intellectual sort of um, structure that they had out there, you know? Yes. And that's what converted like a lot of people, what inspired a lot of people towards Islam versus maybe this like, you know, um, focus towards like maybe going to different countries and like, you know, sort of... um, spreading the message out there with different yes. means you know so this intellectual sort of focus on um you know many of the different subjects and sciences and whatnot what do you think that came from i myself do not know but subhanallah i there's a lot of reasons i think would maybe have to look more because right do you get curious about that that you know um i want to 
like make sense of maybe where my creative aspirations into like you know the oud or like you know maybe calligraphy or maybe like in you know, a certain types of teas where does it all root from where does the science of it cuz like teas right we're drinking teas there's like certain benefits of every single type of yes. tea right so say the tea that we're drinking of the benefits of it must be related or rooted down in some science right yes. and like to understand the teas complete effectiveness you would have to delve deeper into that science and stuff like that so obviously you research more about it and that sort of exposes yes. the history around it it's always good to be as like I mentioned in tea for example always good to be natural mm-hmm. you know that Allah created that for a reason it is there why not use it right. and i bring mostly most of my herbs there's many countries i got some things from sri lanka i got something from greece i got something from egypt and things so I'm living in America and you can just get everything exactly. in the back of the hand. So these cert- these teas have they ever given you like certain um you know metaphysical effects? Oh, of course. I mean, sometimes I'm sick. That. Yeah, of course if I'm sick just drink something specific. If I'm feeling let's say sadness or a little bit down drink something else. So like one of the brothers I one time I made him try a, a herb that I have. I think my Latino brothers would like that. It's called mate, yerba mate. And probably always, you know, soccer lovers and things like that, they all see Lionel Messi drinking it. It's, uh, it's, it really makes those dopamine levels spikes all the way until the roof. It is nice whenever I feel maybe, you know, need something to make me jump. Or in Arabic we say, you know, to interject, you are like a horse almost. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I make a cup of that. Sometimes let's say I feel a little bit sick or it's been a while since I've done really? something good. I want to kick out the toxins of my body. Mm-hmm. Maybe I get some damiana leaves. And mix it with some tea and maybe something else. If I really maybe have some time to meditate, relax, you know, maybe make some zikr with Allah and thing, I bring some lotus flowers, mix it with some other tea and things. Probably it is there, it's for free. Why yeah. I gotta pay some money to get some? I don't know what it, what kind of things are these that yeah. exactly they tell nah. you things they're made, but you never know. I feel that. So with these teas, right, and the entire like scope of sciences around and everything. So. um when you're preparing them like uh do you ever like think about like how, like how do you, how does it get to your mind that you you can mix like you know these teas and have like a different benefit out of it so of course you have to read a lot mm-hmm. and know that for you have tubun nawi and things like that know that every how do you say it it's once you try it you'll know exactly what i'm talking about because okay, okay. a lot of people who would say yeah not exactly yeah, herbs I, I would learn like, them not do much but uh-huh. you'll see once you actually get used to them you will see it's the like different a different effect of you'll see it yes you'll get so addicted to them you mentioned tibbin abvi right are there like different facets of your life that you practice tibbin abvi in because i know like i was really um inspired and curious about profiting medicine and stuff like that we used to have this one institution in pakistan called upkari and uh, they used to prepare like prophetic a uh, medicinal um you know sort of things out of like you know the property medicine that existed you know the herbs that he would talk about and everything you know and then they would like put them into these creams and stuff which would work for different ailments you know like different scarring issues or different like bruises or whatever bodily things that exist you know so that is like a huge thing in you know some parts of Pakistan and what not so talk more about its influence in Syria or like its influence in your life yes so i have some interesting stories about that like uh, for example i think uh, aspirin i think they called in here in fact the the very early stories about the aspirin thing they used to use it for cooking cooking the food or sometimes they just you know have some bad thoughts or some not feeling too good and things they take the trees crush it and just eat it oh, later okay. on they found that it's aspirin and things another story was 
um, I think I was ancient Egyptians mm -hmm. that they used to, I think, get sometime bread, wait until it gets mold and things. And this mold, they would use it for their sickness or sometime cuts and things like that. Of course, we, uh, we made fun of that. You know, well, what kind of things is this? But later on by time, they, they looked in the mold and they saw something in it that actually helps against that. I even heard the story from my father. It's funny. I still want to ask someone actually about it. Sometimes they say if you have a cut in your hand or you don't want to get infected and things, they used to bring a piece of meat and they wrap it around the finger or wherever the cut is. They wrap it and they leave it there. And they say that helps against infection and things like that. It looks strange, but it worked for them. Nice. Yeah, those are like a lot of ideas that they had back then. Uh, back then. Um, and uh, there was like this type of doctor that also exists in Pakistan. We call it a Hakim, right? We call it Hakim, yes. individual. We say in Arabic, say Hakim, which is Hakim. like the wise guy. Hakim, okay. Um, and this guy would like, you know, sort of come to people for like different ailments. And he was like the traditional sort of herbal doctor yes. back in the day. I don't know if you've seen Arthur Grill, but like, you know, the doctors, the village doctor that sort of sometimes helps um, the wounded soldiers and whatnot is usually yes. like, you know, like the, he has a Hakim type of vibe and he's like doing the surgeries with herbs and everything. So it's amazing, like how medicine has sort of, sort of like, you know, come from that and, you know, have involved, have evolved into like um, this powerful sort of structure that we have today around medicine. But um, those are like, you know, really interesting conversations. So let's talk about... Um, you know your life out here like what do you have currently going on what do you have as your ambitions and everything what do you want to like make out out of your american dream so that's a, a nice question i like it i always hear it and probably has many people were asked this question is what i would i asked myself before what do i see myself in five years very famous question i'm seeing alhamdulillah some of that which is already past five years and alhamdulillah more is coming more is coming Alhamdulillah, I work in uh, an, an organization, probably heard of it, Ikna Relief. Right. Very famous organization, nice. I like working with them. And uh, probably, you, I don't know if you're familiar with the work they do. How yeah, they yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. People. They have yeah. the masjid out here too. Yes, yep. yes. And subhanAllah, you know, I I had some history with them. And I then I joined them not too long ago. And subhanAllah, getting more to learn about their work and things. I like it. That's mm -hmm. one of the things I do. Uh, on the side of that, I'm actually a calligraphy, Arabic calligraphy instructor in Islamic arts that I teach in different masajid, different places. What well, mm -hmm. I like to share about this art, share this beautiful thing, because it's not just only for me or someone else. It, it's for everyone. That I want every Muslim brother or sister to look always strong, have something strong, have something that belongs to you. Don't let it there. You know, learn it. What if, let's say, something happened to me and maybe I go back to country or Allah takes his will, you know, done. I want at least people to take that from me, at least to right. be able to learn, teach it and things like that. Because mm -hmm. you see almost every other culture, you know, being proud of what they have and things, except us, where we have something that can take over everything, but we exactly, never really Exactly. Yes. This sort of brings me back to our earlier point where you talked about the absorption of knowledge. Yes. So uh, what do you see as your life trajectory is like maybe serving the community, serving the people and them absorbing some form of knowledge from you, some form of skill or an art from you? Is that correct? Something like that, I would say, yes. And my two jobs that I'm working right now, that, that two things, the calligraphy and Ignat Leaf, mm -hmm. somehow they're more focused on being, interacting with people, different diversities and cultures and things mm -hmm. like that, which is something I like. And that's why I end up learning more and more and more. Right. And that's what led me to learn about all these herbs and things like that. Oh, that's why okay. I was, yeah. 
That's because I know for like a lot of um, reverts and stuff that who might be interested in calligraphy and stuff like that, they sometimes have those spiritual inclinations where they found the trajectory towards Islam maybe in something really simple, right? As you were mentioning the calligraphy, right? Yes. And then one of your uh, friends like found Islam through like, you know, being interested in calligraphy and stuff like that. So how often have you had that happen that people get interested maybe into you know, from like these small things. Yes, yes, because people always follow whoever is strong. So person, empire, whatever it is. That's why, for example, right now you see people all going towards, say, Western culture. Why? Okay. Because you always see the media, always see things. Right. It's strong and strong. Like it's being I, advertised more. Yeah, doesn't have to be the muscles. It's strong. Any way possible, you have to show strength. Right. The same thing, let's say when I show a nice artwork, nice mm-hmm. look, nice thobe, nice calligraphy and things, make people curious. Which is something that is our duty to spread our message and things like that. So the biggest part, the biggest reason why I somehow do that is to make people curious. What is this? What is that? Especially I deal with a lot of non-Muslims. Mm-hmm. And they come to me, yeah, interesting. I heard you guys have something called Quran. Well, what is that? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Subhanallah, some people were interested in the technique the shahada soon even. Nice. So, so many nice. time, many times, like, you are the first contact of Islam? First contact ever. Wow. Especially okay. with non-English speakers when they end up speaking their language. and Like, you know Islam. Spanish and everything as yes, well, yes. mashallah. And just making sure for the people who maybe, yeah, questioning if my Spanish and things. See, yo sé un poco de español, yo aprende de mis amigos, pero... It's, it's un fácil lenguaje especial para mí, un árabe hablante. And uh, it's muy similar, Arabic language, especially with the grammatic and other cosas. So, yes. I yeah, that is it. nice. Yeah, I know <laughs> I sort of tried to study Spanish in Willowbrook when I was there, but like I never like continued it. And Spanish is so interesting, so like, you know, on the rise, in, especially in the United States, because like if you sort of look at the demographics and everything, um, you know, the ethnically people who like identify as white and whatnot, that is like decreasing. And by 2050, 2070, they say that, you know, the amount of minorities are going to be more than the white people yeah. itself. Well, no, I mean, that's their land after all. Exactly. It's exactly. American. It's the their Mexicans. land. Yeah, it's native. It's the Native American land. That's why like, I get into like a lot of conversations with like people where they think that white people own this land. White people don't own this land. Like natives originally owned this land yes. and white people came and kicked them out. You know, the Which colonizers and everything. Mexican, Argentinian, exactly. whoever. Exactly. They were like originally like, this is all theirs and stuff yes. like that. And a lot of like Hispanics, when, we, when we're having this conversation, um, you know, they sort of um, call it like we're repopulating the United States, you know, because like everywhere, like, you know, we look the same way we were or the original people of this country. And now we're like, you know, coming back to it and everything. So as we have that kind of trend, um, we also see like, you know, the increasing influence of the Spanish language, you know, where um, there's like certain communities you can have to where you can find work in. But you have to speak both the languages, Spanish and English, you know, so you can sort of serve the community out there. For example, how say if you have like a job that requires you to interact with people in Bridgeview, you mightn't have to know Arabic. You know, yes. if you're in Devon Avenue, you have to like know Urdu. It's important. Or something like yes. I'll bring you to the point that when I said you have to have the claws of a tiger and the wings of a bird and the fins of a fish, you'll be able to go move around here and there, maybe move to their country. The language is very important. You know, to learn it, to get to learn their secrets. Right. That's how I feel. When I first learned my language, my Spanish, as well as my Russian as well, a little bit of Persian, you know, I started learning some Chinese, you know, learn, and they actually, subhanAllah, they accept you. They always like when someone learns about their culture and things. Exactly. And they teach you new things. Yeah. Yes. Because the same absorption of knowledge concept, right? Like they're trying to absorb knowledge from you. You absorb knowledge from them. And when it's taking it like a unilateral process, when it's like, you know, happening at the same time, 
people come to celebrate it whatever similar interest they have you know yes. so it's it's pretty interesting so since like you know you've grown up here you've interacted with the desi population with the muslim african american population whoever it may be right so within the like uh, the desi population what is like your most interesting a uh, story around like a sort of like a desi person or like what is your most favorite thing about like a desi culture about the desi culture <laughs> there's a lot of things I think my most memorable memory which is uh somehow mixed with sadness a good sadness of course okay was my very very first hyderabad biryani <laughs> okay. yeah when i used to live by myself suddenly i don't know how to cook nothing at all uh-huh. allah sent me a good friend from hyderabad from india and it's like yeah brother i'll take care of you and things that he's my best biryani plate from my mother who made it and i got no food and i had to eat it Yeah. And I always hear that's like the least spiciest. Uh-huh. I eat man the cheese by themselves they just came yeah. down I think. I it was that. hard. So you appreciate spicy food. I now I like it. When I went back to my country I ate the food like it's missing something. I got by first once I saw the spices I just threw them in there. Have you had like traditional Pakistani chicken biryani? Oh man, of course. <laughs> How I do you like everything. that? I like it. It's nice. Just like I say it's different color of Islam of our community of our mm-hmm. beautiful religion. Mm-hmm. So aside from that, I have learned a lot of things. Also, just like I, like I said, when I came here, I was surprised with the amount of Muslims are around, the culture, the massage, and things. And I never knew that existed. Right, exactly. Because when we're living back home, we're only interacting with the type of Muslims that look like us, that you know, like speak the same yes. language and whatnot. You know, so when we come out of these Western countries, and like you know, now you have to stick together because instead of being like Syrian, Pakistani, Indian, you know, Bosnian, now you're just Muslim. You know, that is like your yes. foremost identity. and uh then you like you know come to know about like you know how different cultures operate how like every single culture has this like you know amazing thing about it that you know sort of inspires you to get closer yes. to it so that's pretty interesting but i know like you know uh, we've shared like a mutual friend you know who's uh, ahmed and like so he's been a really like you know huge um you know ex- like representation of his culture as well his pashtun identity and whatnot so when you first interacted with him like you know what was the experience like <laughs> it's funny because i was sitting right here yeah that's why i, sal- <laughs> I salute you ahmad you were uh, a very nice experience of me first knowing about your culture and thing like that the first i think they called pakol i pakol? think they had that when you did you guys were. first meet like <laughs> it was this back in like uh I when remember, you went to willowbrook I, no i remember seeing the masjid Okay. And every time I'm coming with my abaya and things like that, and and his other friend, oh man, you know you look nice and things like that. Every time I come out of the party, oh man, you look nice and things. Uh-huh. Think a couple more times, like yeah, tell us about yourself and things. I think that was my second interaction with like Daisies or someone outside of my, you know, my my country and things like that. Thought it was nice. Second or third time, yeah, come man, come to our house and things. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, why not? I always come to someone's house who I never met in my life, different language, different things. And the more right. the more it's I like it it's mm-hmm. nice and there's really a lot of similarities just only a, a language right exactly exactly no that is very true do you think like back in our um, lands like you know if I could talk for Pakistan you could talk for like Syria people like harbor like maybe stereotypes about like different you know um components that exist like you know different like geographic regions that exist um under the muslim regions and whatnot like say for example um you know Daisy people have stereotypes about Arabs. Arab people have like stereotypes about Daisies and whatnot. So, do you think sometimes that becomes like a barrier for pe- from people like from interacting and everything? Of course, yeah. And I remember, I mean, remember that Allah has said we made you people and tribes so that you may know each other. So the Arabic word that He mentioned it was very specific. 
So the word, the root is ta'aruf or ma'rifa. Okay. Which is general knowledge to know and things like that. So if you want to use it in a normal way that maybe you get to know a friend, you say ta'aruf. But he mentioned ta'aruf, which means you're putting effort somehow into it or you know it more and more deeply and things. So it's very much more deeply things. From my experience in here, I saw the best places, the best of business and things is where the ones that have different nations, different cultures, different mindsets and things. I was just studying into that. And it's how I found even the language that you speak, it affects the way how you think. Like, for example, Arabic language uses, I think, two parts of the brain, which is, I think, specific oh, no areas way. and things. Okay. Yes. So they did it like MRIs and stuff yes, and saw yes. like, where there's brain activity while yes. you're speaking different languages. Yes. And they actually, I think, compared it to, speci- to specifically to German language. And they found that German language uses different parts of the brain more and they are emotion active. Arabs, for example, that's something I found out about a while ago, which is very nice. In America, for example, if you ask anyone, how many feelings there are, there are usually, I think, five, five or six, I forgot. Anger, happiness, sadness, fear. I think disgust is the fifth thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. If we go to Arabic culture, we have like over 25 feelings. Oh, wow. You have sadness, a little bit sadness, extremely sadness, missing. So your consciousness get, of emotion lot, and yes. feeling like expands when you come on, come into like different languages. Yes, yes. It, it's very different. Like even if you look, for example, in, into our music, mm-hmm. you have something called maqams. Whatever you maqam usually expresses a very different feelings. Let's say if you le- lift your land, it's a different feeling where and the missing feeling that you feel to it, towards it is different than the one when you miss your family. We are able to express it. We are able to feel something different. It's not just missing something and done. Exactly. You're able to feel it. Even when we interact with each other when we talk, that's why you feel sometimes they are reacting fast. There right, are the things. Right. There's more complexity yes. in like even emotion. Yes, yes. When emotion. you say a word, you're actually straight talking to his soul. So you feel the difference. Right. Yes. Okay. And I feel it too. Because when I speak with English people, they speak to me in back and things. Sometimes even sometimes let's say a person hurts you or say something bad. I didn't ever feel the feelings of it because it's a different language, it doesn't really affect me. Right. The way how it works is different. But when an Arab talks to me something and he says something, I really feel it much mm. worse because... So the ability something. to connect with someone's soul like sort of expands when you understand the variety of these emotions and the vastness of yes, these emotions. Yes. It's very different, yes. Different languages. Yeah, that is an interesting point. And so since you started like, you know, delving into different languages, do you think like when you've mastered or tried to master these languages, you're able to master those emotions and feeling things in those languages as well? Or is, does, is that something that comes after you've interacted with the community I think I think I still have it maybe uh, maybe I don't focus on it much and things I've saw a lot of things of course like you mentioned uh, climate plays difference and things like that like for example go to hot countries especially let's say South Africa and you know like after Egypt after Sudan going down you'll see for example they're always laughing dancing and things. they always see a lot of dancing over there mm-hmm. almost on everything else if you go more north, which is the very cold country, you don't see tabla and drum and things. You also see the more hotter countries, you see more tablas, more drums, more things. Right. So even that, it like the climate itself it plays a big difference. Mm-hmm. When I work, when different type of people come and things, let's say when I see Russians, always, even though they're very good people, they will help you, they'll do whatever you ask for, but very cold because of the climate. When you see black people come to it, how are you doing, man? How's everything? How's life? It's oh, just wow. how okay. it works for them. I've you know? never actually like been aware of that or actually yeah. thought about that. That's really interesting. You cannot interesting. change it. Yeah. You cannot. You whatever so it is, Im- yes. Like the where where you come from, the geographic region, the climate, that actually influences your emotion as well. Yes, yes. Wow, okay. <laughs> that is like a 
realization for sure. But thank you so much, Noor, for being on this podcast. You know, like we've talked about so many different things, so many like different topics about language, culture, history, religiosity, spirituality. You know, it's been really interesting. Thank you so much for the amazing no chat. You know, for letting us record here, like you know, in your home and everything, which is amazingly decorated. I have some snaps of like you know that uh, within the video and whatnot. And I'm sure, man, inshallah, like the consciousness of Allah that you have, like you know, while representing yourself in the fullest way, in the most creative way, but at at the end of the day, having that core consciousness of Allah makes you ready for any obstacle that you know there is to come in life, and gives you that you know sort of power to face that obstacle with the utmost confidence and everything. So, inshallah, I wish all the best for you, you know, yeah. in like all these different um, expressions or all these different. Um, approaches that you take towards maybe uh, you know gaining jobs, gaining work, and like actually living as an artist. Like you know you're doing calligraphy and teaching it, which is an amazing you know art to learn whatnot. So all the best for you, man. And inshallah, I'm like really Shukra. glad we met and realized that we were well. neighbors, man. Like you know I will be coming here for chai and stuff like that. I want to learn more about the chai and everything as well. And it's like that ability of yours to really hold like an intellectual conversation, be knowledgeable about these things, absorb these pieces of knowledge which like you know really makes you interesting and inspiring so always keep that up man you know and yeah man this is an amazing podcast i hope you guys enjoyed it thank you so much before i let you go is there something that you want to say to the audience <laughs> let's say there's a lot of things but i want to bother them a lot of course they're gonna see me if uh -huh. you see me ask me anything you want uh, i would like to say to you of course of course <laughs> Listen to downloads from my Daisy Brothers and things like that. You're still very for now. And uh, alhamdulillah, not much to say. We covered everything, I think. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. SZ out. <laughs>